0: To The A Map To You Life Stories From The Living podcast, which is brought to you by The Dot Collective. The Dot Collective is a registered charity and professional theatre company that creates and provides theatre for those living in care, particularly, but not exclusively, for those living with dementia. Our work includes touring professional theatre productions into residential care, transforming their spaces with theatre aesthetics to fully immerse audiences within the experience. We also create new plays based on the lives of those living with dementia and produce these for the participants and the public on stage, in print and as audio recordings, raising a positive awareness of dementia and producing a keepsake for participants. This podcast is part of the A Map To You project, which started in lockdown 2021 to document the life stories of participants living with dementia and their families. In the first year of the project, we produced four new plays inspired by the lives of participants we worked with. Now, in our final stages of the project, we want to capture and share as many stories as possible. Throughout the series, we will be getting to know members of Dementia Social Groups in Southeast London. Each week, we'll join these groups to uncover stories by engaging in conversation and storytelling activities. These stories will be adapted and recorded by a group of writer-performers for the podcast. We'll also have special guests each week and discuss the importance of social stimulation, conversation and arts-based activities for those living with dementia.
1: Hello, I'm Thomas Judd, and I'm going to be presenting this week's episode of the A Map To You podcast. I'm joined by Laura Harling, the Artistic Director of The Dot Collective. Hi, Laura. Hi, Tom. Laura, the name The Dot Collective, can you just let us know what that's all about? Where did it come from?
0: Dot is short for Dorothy, and Dorothy was my my nan, my grandma. My grandmother was a wonderful, wonderful human being who, when I was a child actor, would sometimes chaperone me she spent a long stint at the Hampstead, the Hampstead, old Hampstead Theatre with me and she also spent a long stint in a caravan in Prague on an advert cleaning out the toilets when the caravan was stuck in the mud. So she supported me as a young actor and growing up as an adult actor she eventually went into care and I was working in the show in town and during the day I went to visit my nan in her care home and she had a list of all these activities that were on the table but she didn't want to do it. Any of them, they required her uh, in her mind to achieve or be good at something. So when I asked her what she would most like to do, she said, "Well, I want to go to London and see you in your show." And that was the moment I thought, "Well, professional theatre needs to be accessible for those living in care. It needs to go into care, so there's access." And I emph- emphasise the professional part um, with all of the aesthetics that the theatre gives somebody and um, the whole experience. So then I, I started the Dot Collective and. My career took a different direction, and the Dot Collective is very much in memory of of my nan, Dorothy, who sadly didn't see our first show in 2015. She passed just before we managed to take the show there, but the experience of that first show in care and seeing the joy that it brought to four generations of family sat together in a care home, I knew in that moment that this was a career change for me and it was something that needed to be sustained and developed, and there we have the Dot Collective.
1: Wonderful. And now here we are sitting in a recording booth
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and uh, we've got some wonderful pieces to share with everyone.
0: Yeah. so How's it going (laughs) to (laughs) work? Well, the A Map To You project is part of the side of our charity that wants to hear from people who currently live in care and, and live with dementia. It's about acknowledging who they are and not their condition it's about hearing their life stories and not just hearing what we think we know about them, which is so often the challenges of dementia. And dementia is is a challenge, but what we don't often think about is the person who's still very much there and has so many stories to tell so this whole project has been about really getting to know people about having a load of fun about taking actors and writers into social situations and having conversations with people that happen to live and care for dementia and and finding out what their fond moments of their lives are and and what they enjoy and what they love doing um, and, and recording that so that they can hear it back but also that our writers and our performers and the audience that are listening to it can hear some of these fascinating stories that that are out there and and that so often don't get listened to so our job is to find out those stories to record them and document them to put them on this podcast so everyone can hear them and and to also create a a lasting memory of, of those stories as well a keepsake for the participant for family members going forward
1: so who are you visiting this week
0: this week we were with the Alzheimer's Society Daffodil Club in Nunhead. It's a one that I've been visiting for quite a few years now. They're a wonderful group. The coffee is really good as well. They they have a, a real coffee. <laughs> So, yeah, we've been with with them and and it's quite a large group. Um, They do a lot of activities and we, yeah, we, we, myself and Vicky Gaskin, who you'll hear later in this podcast, we went in and had a, a lovely couple of hours chatting, getting to know some of the members, hearing so many stories. I mean, I was swamped with information. So today you'll hear... Some of our adaptation of their stories, just uh, some snippets of what we managed to take away from the wonderful people that we met.
1: Well, without further ado, let's move on to our first story. Everyone Has a Story by Vicky Gaskin. Read by the author.
2: One of the first things I noticed about her was that she was wearing an orange lanyard that said, Everyone Has a Story. I was there to listen to stories, and so I made a beeline for her. She was sitting quietly on her own, completing a word search, but when I asked if I could sit down next to her, she lit up like the sun and offered me the seat next to her. She was so pleased to be there. I never see the neighbours. I never see them. I'm in a block, but I never see them. It's good to come and see everyone. I like coming out for the company. She told me that she lives on her own and how important it is to mix in and not to stay indoors. I asked her if she wanted to write a story. I don't know what to write. So I asked if she wanted to write a story together. She opened up like a flower and Prince, the dog's trip to Cornwall, was dreamed up. Prince is a big beige dog with floppy ears. He's a well-behaved dog and does what he's told. If you say, go and get something, he brings it back. People are very surprised that he brings things back. He likes what other people are eating. He has his own food, but wants what other people have got, especially chicken. He's very good company. We're going on a trip to Cornwall. Prince is going in the van with his owners for a holiday, because you can't go there to live. We're staying in a caravan, not a hotel, because hotels don't like dogs. We have long sleeps and go for long walks through the woods with big trees. There are other people with dogs and so we say hello. We eat out in a little cafe, chicken and chips for dinner and Prince can have some chicken. We drive the van to the beach where we play ball and swim in the warm sea we get some strawberry and banana ice cream. Prince tried some and he liked it. At the end of the day, we go back to the caravan park. It's a nice caravan with a nice mat for Prince to lie on. We get back in the van and go home. It's a very enjoyable time. I read it back to her. She laughed from the bottom of her lungs. (laughs) That's good, everybody else can read that. And with that, her eyes darted around the room. What's everyone else put in their stories? And she started asking what stories everyone else had written. She collected them like treasures, curious, listening and always wanting to know more. She swapped her tale for memories and works of fiction, proud of her own story and always loving what she heard in return. And suddenly, it was time to leave. The time has gone so fast. Are you back next week, she asked, before quietly whispering. I like our one. She got on the 78 bus and I got on my bike and we went our separate ways. But I'm already wondering where we'll go, what we'll do and who we'll be the next time I see her.
1: Well, I'm here with Vicky Gaskin, who wrote and performed this piece. Um, Vicky, can you tell me what was the inspiration behind it?
2: So I've worked with the Dot Collective quite a lot and been in sort of quite a lot of these workshops and I just love it. And so I went into this one and was like, oh, like what stories am I going to hear? And like, whose story am I going to tell? And I made friends with this particular lady and, you know, the story that we wrote is lovely, but I just felt like I wanted to more talk about who she was. I think there was just something so lovely about how happy she was to be there, how much she wanted to hear everyone else's stories. And she was really quite reluctant to tell her own story and, and write her own story, but we got there in the end anyway. I think it was just really cool how how engaged she was with everyone else's stories as well.
1: Was the story completely made up or was it based on Prince the dog?
2: Prince the dog, was, yeah. Was
1: Prince what? her dog or...? What?
2: This is a very good question because it began as like an imaginary exercise. So we uh, like in the story is sort of an amalgamation of two stories that we made up on that particular day. So, you know, I think some people it's sort of much easier for them to be like, I have all these stories. Whereas I think she doubted herself, but I was like, I just fell in love with her. So I was like, no, 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 we're going to get there. So we sort of took it away to a more imaginary exercise, but actually the imaginary exercise were memories. And so we did a lot of talking about who the character was going to be in the story, Prince the Dog. And then after we'd finished discussing who the character was, she went, oh, I actually remembered quite a lot. And so I was like, oh, is Prince the Dog real? And then she was like, yeah, he was a dog we had when we we were younger. And so it was sort of the imagination that led to the memories. And so I think then when we went to Cornwall with the dog... I think that there are bits in there that are memories and some bits that imaginary. I love the idea that it can be true or it can be imaginary, but th- like, does it really matter? Because at the end of the day, the things that are going on in our head aren't real. They're in our heads. So they're memories, they're stories, they're imaginary. It's all sort of mixed up together and there's something really beautiful about that. Definitely, And so I really like that about the actual story, that it was both.
1: And it's obviously a lovely way in which the Dot Collective works in using storytelling and the idea of imagination to draw out people's memories absolutely, and their, their yeah. connection to those memories, which is really lovely.
2: A hundred percent. And it's, people's
1: memories make great stories.
2: Well, absolutely. And it's, it's just why the Dot Collective is so brilliant because the structure of the story was sort of very new for me being like, Am I like, am I taking this to be my story when it's actually not my story? And I was like, no, because I think it's really nice for people to understand where a lot comes from that they sort of see at the other end of the Dot Collective. Laura does a fantastic job of explaining it, but I was like, I want to help people know just what a great experience it is working with the Dot Collective from our side and how much, you know we talk about how much people living with dementia get out of these workshops. But I think I will always come back to the Dot Collective because it's really special, this kind of work. And I think there are people that I've worked with, with the Dot Collective who are part of dementia cafes or living in care, who I, you know, Laura will be with them and they'll send me like a video saying, hey, and I'll send them a video back. So I think it's it's just really nice for people on the other side of it to know how much we get out of it as well. It's like a charity. It's, it's just great for everyone. We should just do more. We should. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk about why the Dot Collective is so great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, thank you very much for your TED Talk, Vicky. It's now time to move on to our next piece. This is Letters. It was written by Laura Harling and it's performed by Robert Hickson.
3: I was living and working in London for the BBC at Bush House as a programme producer for the radio. But my wife, she was living in Burton-on-Trent. Do you know that area? And she worked in Marks and Spencers. And we then wrote so many letters. I would write how much I missed her, how lonely I felt without her, and how I'd managed to get a flat in Covent Garden, but it needed so much work, so I had to do it myself. I told her that I was laying the carpet and getting it ready so she could join me. You know, in Burton-on-Trent there's a brewery and she'd say how you can smell the beer. Double diamond beer. That must have been 1979. I went there for the first time and I did smell the beer and experience the double diamond. We couldn't stand the distance, so in the end she joined me in London about 1984. We wrote letters all of that time. And she moved to High Street, Kensington, Marks and Spencer in the end. We would always write letters, even if it was just a note when we'd miss each other between working. Sometimes I'd be working late and she'd be working in the morning. We'd leave each other a note for when we returned home. Letters were always in our life. Even here, we wrote together in these sessions four years ago. When she was ill, I wrote her a letter. I would read it to her when she was in the hospice, St. Christopher's Hospice in Sydenham. Do you know it? It was a letter from me to her. I won't tell you what it said. You can imagine that in your way. It has two pages, though, and had a poem. The poem was called Mother, because that's what I called her. I called her that because of being the wonderful mother of our children. I read that to her, and she told me she loved that letter and she wanted to take it with her when she goes. She died three years ago, and as she wished, I buried her with the letter in her hands, along with a small book she read and a rose. I still have the poem and a copy of the letter. Sometimes I miss her so much I take it out and read to her again. It's how I talk to her. I talk to her every day. Before I left today, I said, I'm going now to the Daffodil Club. I'll see you in the afternoon, late afternoon. And that's how I keep her with me.
1: So that was Letters, beautifully read by Robert Hickson. Um, I'm here with Laura, who wrote it. Um, Laura, can you tell us all about the inspiration behind it?
0: Yes, so Letters was inspired by a man who goes to the Daffodil Dementia Group, who we went to visit on Monday, and he has a whole wealth of experience. His life travels are so extensive. He spoke for two hours about these incredible stories of his life, but the one thing that really stuck out to me was the stories of, of writing letters to his wife. It seemed to be something that was consistent throughout his relationship from the very Start of it to the very end. And he had a real joy when he spoke about writing these letters and and how he really liked to express his emotions to his wife as well as the practicalities of every day. And the importance of writing those letters and and a way of communicating to each other from the very start of their relationship together to the end of of her life and, and how he still uses that form of communication to keep her with him. And there's something really lovely about letters. I think we should still send each other letters. We it's great should. to receive a letter, isn't it, Tom? It is
1: great to receive a letter. I, m- I tend to just get bills, so yeah. it's a bit disappointing. Well, yeah. I'll
0: send you a letter.
1: Oh, thanks. Yeah, it'll probably just end up being a WhatsApp, though, won't it? Right, moving on. Our next piece is called Confined to Barracks. It was written by Laura here, again, um, and it's performed by Daryl Bailey, Laura Harling, and someone called Thomas Judd. 1960,
4: I think it was, when I was in the National Service... Oh no, I'm telling you a story now and I I can't tell you a proper story.
0: It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter.
4: I'm going to make a fool of myself.
0: You're not going to make a fool of yourself
4: at all. I'll have to go and make a note of it and and stuff like that. Oh yeah, well, I'll, I'll remember things as it comes along. Yeah. Yeah, so National Service. Well, it was nice at first. I had my girlfriend at the time, you you know, her family, and, and they were very nice because, you know, I was a young boy, and, and they, they made me feel good, you know, because my father and mother were, were back in the West Indies.
0: Oh, right. So you were on your own, sort of. That's nice to have family. More
4: or less, yes. They they, they look after me and, and care for me and, and make me feel welcome. And I remember when I I used to come home, and, and you know you don't get the chance to come home all the time when when you're in the army because you have to do time. And then when I come home, I, I would go and see my girlfriend's family. Her, her, her mother was a very nice, properly old fashioned mother. She was so kind to me. And every time I came home, I, oh, on a weekend or whenever I came home, she would, she would make a cake for me. Oh, wow, they were spoiling you. And, and, and then I, when I when I take it back with me to the army barracks, then them wise, you see, once they get used to me taking cakes back, man, they used to wait for me at the camp and at the station and they used to map me for it. <laughs> <laughs> they love it. And did she know that you would take it? What?
0: Did your mother-in-law know that you were taking the cake back to the to, to your friends in the army?
4: Yeah, that's that's right.
0: Oh, she must have felt really special.
4: Yeah, that's right. She was a lovely woman.
0: What was the cake like?
4: Well, you you know, in those days, in in the fifties and so, and it, it was flour and and what else you put with it? Uh, fruit, fruit cake. Uh, yeah, yeah, hard and everything. They they used to love it And <laughs> when you. When you go to camp, oh, man, <laughs> they're mammiferate. Oh, man, them boys. They're the greediest people you can find. The army people, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow.
0: Well, it's nice to have some home cooking when you're in the army, I imagine.
4: Yeah. Where did your mother-in-law come from? From London, um, but they were Irish. that That's what she said to me. I i remember, uh, oh, oh, you know, I've, I've done some... Terrible things, my girlfriend. You know, sometimes I come home and she doesn't want me to go back. I bet. (laughs) And once I I decided to stay a little, I went back late. I missed my train. The thing was, if you are late and you miss your train, you've got to report it to the police so they know where you are.
1: It's called AWOL. AWOL. Yeah, that's it. Absent without leave.
0: Ah, and that's where Gone Ewol comes from.
4: That's it. See... You have to let them know it's not your fault. So I go to the police and reported it at Scotland Yard. I go to Scotland Yard that time. I was on duty at 6 o'clock in the morning and if you're not going to be there, then you've, you're absent without duty. So you had to go to Scotland Yard? Ah, oh, man. And the first time I have... Anything to do with the police, right? And they give me a bed, like a prison bed, a room and a bed to sleep on in there.
0: And then you have to wait for someone to come to take you back to the, into the service?
4: And would you believe it, after all the reporting and, and whatever, they still said I was missing when on duty. So they give me seven days CB.
0: What does that mean? CB, what, what does that stand for?
4: It means you weren't back there on time.
0: But when you're on C- CB, what does that mean to you?
4: Now, that 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 is the part, you see, we, we didn't like. Oh, you didn't like it? No, you see, when when you're missing on duty in the mornings, what they do is they, they give you all the menial work to do.
0: Ah, so you were given the nasty things to do.
1: Scrub the flowers. Like clean out the dustbin and that.
0: Well, I guess they couldn't possibly clean for themselves, could they?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> and what does CB stand for?
4: Absent without leave or, or something like that.
0: Shall I look it up?
4: Yes, look it up. It, it's gone in the whole memory. Mm-hmm.
0: And what sort of things would you normally do in the service when you weren't on CB?
4: It wasn't war time. It was a peaceful time.
1: More parades than anything.
0: Parades?
4: <laughs> Learn how to use a gun. They, they teach you nearly every gun. To take them apart as well. Take them apart and put them back together, practice shooting as well in a range.
0: And um, was the base somewhere in the countryside?
4: I remember I catch my train from one of the big train stations, not far from Elephant and Castle. What's it called? Um Uh Waterloo. Waterloo <laughs> They change it up now from what it used to be. Oh man, it's changed. the Shot, that was the nearest place. But there was another one further along where I used to do the training. Quite a lot of different ones down there. I take the train down to that place. I I can't remember the name of that place. (laughs) It's embarrassing, you know.
0: Don't worry. This is so interesting, the names don't matter. I probably would have never heard of it, so you could say anything.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I'll find my things, my notes, and, and fetch them for next time. Some of the things I had in the army, books and that.
0: Of course. Everything would have been written down in those days.
4: Yeah, I got me a little book and that, uh, records, you know, but, 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 but no, as I said...
0: Were there many other people from the West Indies
4: there? In my camp? Hmm. Not a lot, no. There's only about two. Myself and another chap from Bar, 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 Barbados, is Bar, it?
0: Barbados. Where was your family from? Jamaica. Jamaica. Did you ever feel in the army that you were treated different differently?
4: I can't say that at all. I feel I was always treated very, very well.
0: You were always treated well?
4: Yes. I think so. That's great. I mean I get on well with those boys. Oh, man, you want to see us when I do my confined to barracks business, all right? Because of what I did, you know, when I went back to the camp late and I was on CB.
0: Confined to barracks? Oh, that's what CB stands for. Yes,
4: confined to barracks. <laughs> you remembered it. There you are. You see what I'm seeing? Yeah. It's, it's come back to me by itself. Yeah, it was there inside. You just needed time. <laughs> yes, this, this is it. Well, one of the things was, when you go into the cafe and you get the chance to cook bread and... And work in the canteen, all sorts of different tasks, slicing up the bread, getting ready for when you go out to eat. Now, <laughs> listen, these boys, they used to crowd me. I used to stay there, late, you know, doing the menial jobs in the cookhouse, washing up and that. You, you know these things. And when I get they get the chance to go back to my barracks, right... I used to give them bread. Mm. (laughs) They used to love me for it. (laughs) I used to steal them the bread. (laughs) They love it. You know how I managed to steal the bread. Them boys used to come into the canteen and take things from me. And sometimes I'd come back and take things to them and they would map me for it. (laughs) Man, they're the greediest people in the world. Yeah. You know, there was 14 of us, 14 boys, and they loved wrestling with me. I was strong. You were the
0: strongest. Yes, I was the strongest.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Now, look, now I've told you all my secrets. Anyway, I'll tell you more. I'll fetch my book tomorrow.
1: That was Confined to Barracks, written by Laura Harling and read by the fabulous Daryl Bailey. I'm here with Laura again. Laura, can you tell us a bit about the people involved in this piece
0: yes confined to barracks happened through a conversation between I think about four or five of us sat around the table and yeah what I found really interesting about the the story from this participant about his time in the national service the history of somebody especially a time that I wasn't living through and and what happened in national service when it wasn't during the war, when it was a peaceful time, as as he puts it. So the story itself was really interesting and, and how much joy he seemed to have reminiscing of, of his time with those other guys in the army and, and the cheeky things that he used to do and and actually how much of it was about the friendship that he formed and, and how he was looked after by his girlfriend's parents when he would come back. There were clearly fond memories. He was laughing a lot as he was telling the story. Yeah, it was a clear, positive reminiscence for him. But what I also found very interesting was, within that time, how he couldn't remember something and, and got frustrated that he couldn't remember what cb stood for it wasn't very helpful me asking him repeated questions of but what does it stand for and then what happened was the conversation just continued for 15 minutes and he naturally found what that stood for it just highlights the importance of giving people the time and again we go back to the importance of conversation as a way of of stimulating the the mind and i guess just making somebody feel comfortable enough to be able to share their story.
1: And there are a couple of moments as well where there is another person interjecting slightly. Can you tell us about that person?
0: Yes. So that person is somebody who can be reluctant to take part in the storytelling activities. So his part within this conversation was interjecting occasionally with his knowledge. He was very proud to have this knowledge. So he shared his life stories through somebody else's. Again, the importance of conversation within a group as well it doesn't put one person on the spot they can feel free to add if they choose to or just listen but they're still being socially stimulated and and, and still part of of the activity as a whole
1: Wonderful. Well, I think we should have our next piece. We're back again with Vicky Gaskin. She wrote and is performing this piece it's called Timmy
2: I'm Timmy T-I-M-M I.E. It's a funny story. They thought I was a boy at first. But the name sort of stuck, you know. Do excuse me being a bit slow. I've had rather a long sleep. I don't like the cold, so I tend to stay inside pretty much all of the winter. I prefer it when it's nice and sunny. I'm cold blooded. When everyone else was shutting themselves inside in that heat wave last summer, I was out in my garden, racing around actually. They say the likes of me don't move that fast, but we'll surprise you. This is where I spent this winter, right next to the eucalyptus tree. I love that eucalyptus tree. It calms me, you know. I had to move last year. The last place got flooded, which was a shame it was a nice little place, custom-built and the place before that, oh, it was marvellous. Shall I tell you how I came by that place? It's a good story. I was brought to South London, actually, going back, I don't know, 70-odd years. I couldn't settle anywhere, you know, but when I arrived here, I knew this was the place. You just know, don't you? Plenty of grass, beautiful flower beds. I spent the whole summer basking in the sun and munching on lettuce and dandelions, my favourite. But as I said, I don't like the winter, so I took myself off for a long winter's nap. They thought I'd run away, can you believe it? I've found over the years it's hard for people to understand sleeping through the winter, but it's very normal for us cold-blooded types. When I emerged in early spring all covered in soil, they were surprised to see me. And after that, every year I'd just take myself away for the winter into my cosy hole in the compost heap next to my eucalyptus tree and sleep till spring. Lovely. Oh, but one year I went for my winter nap and there was a smell. You know, when something doesn't quite smell right. So I got the dog to have a sniff around, and you know what it was? Foxes. And even with my shell for a creature my size, that smells danger, especially when you're asleep all the winter long. So I never went in again. Oh, I loved that place. And they did make me a lovely custom hutch until, of course, that flooded. So when winter came around this year, I thought, I'm too old for this. If this is my last winter, where do I want to be? And so I dug a little hole right next to my beloved eucalyptus tree, snuggled in and closed my eyes. At my age, I don't worry that I won't wake up. Another thing you might not know about tortoises is that we are great adventurers. And every time I do wake up, it's a bonus. One more adventure.
1: Oh, how lovely. Vicky, can you tell us all about Timmy? Sounds like quite a character.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Timmy. So, yeah, Timmy is the tortoise of one of the volunteers at the Daffodil Cafe where I was collecting stories. And I just kind of fell in love with Timmy a little bit. There's, It's just, yeah, there's something about Timmy the tortoise that I was just like, I want to know more about this tortoise. But also I think there's something really nice about who Timmy is that sort of, I feel like Timmy really resonates to people that i know who are in their particularly in their 90s and i thought it just might be quite nice for people to understand Timmy's story and maybe relate to a tortoise
1: i think we <laughs> could all relate to a tortoise in some way <laughs> wanting to hibernate in the winter maybe yeah
2: <laughs> just wanted to eat dandelions oh yeah and
1: be by a eucalyptus tree <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs> I, I love that t- so everything in the story is true other than obviously the opinions of the tortoise which we can't be sure on but yeah, Timmy really does love the eucalyptus tree.
1: I hope that Timmy's all right.
2: Me too. I'm a so, bit worried about Timmy. So Timmy in real life is still currently hibernating and Timmy's owner is hoping that she will awake, I'm told, around March time. Oh, but it's t- a nice
1: long sleep, It's a
2: nice long oh. sleep. But Timmy is quite old now. But I thought, how nice would it be if, like, Timmy's okay Like Timmy's fine If Timmy doesn't wake up She can
1: be reunited With her dog friend Yeah Mm. I hope so Well It is now time For the final story For this week's episode And I'm going to read this one It's by Laura Harling And it's called My Diagnosis I'm going to tell you something now I'm not great at this Because my memory's not all that It was when I put something In the fryer Some chips or something And then, well, I'd forgotten and didn't think about it at all until I could smell the burning. You know that smell. It's strong and you know it's not good. And of course, it was all burnt. So then I realised that something wasn't quite right with me, so I went to the GP. And he said, you're slow, or something of the sort. So I had to take tests. One was to take away seven from one hundred. That's quite hard, you know. But it's ninety-three. Then he said to take seven away again, from that number, from the 93 that I'd just already taken seven away from 100. I said, I don't know what that is. That's hard. Well, so that was that. I have this dementia or whatever. There were more tests like that. And, well, uh, then I went to another place, a big office with different, um, very friendly people. They put pictures of animals on the wall and I had to tell them what the animal was. Now... I hadn't seen most of those animals before in my life so I wasn't very good at that bit and I'm not sure that was to do with my memory and nor did they but anyway they talked about this group where there were no tests just tea well I only drink coffee they said and coffee (laughs) and so I came along for the coffee and it turns out the chats are all right too I get a cup of tea now because I can't drink the coffee. Talk to you and meet people. It's good, you know. I'm going to start gardening in March. And as soon as the weather's warm, oh, it's far too cold, I'll be out there. I'm going to do the garden for them because I'm very good at that. Yes, I suppose I have many stories to tell. But I'll do the gardening first. Laura is here with me again. Laura, can you tell us a bit more about my diagnosis?
0: Yes, my diagnosis was based on a very short encounter in conversation that I had with one of the participants. We had introduced the concept of what we were doing with this podcast and and telling each other's stories. And, and he was slightly apologetic about his dementia and, and said, you know, you understand I, I have this um this condition and, and let me tell you how I knew about it. And he wanted to just quickly tell me about how he discovered that he had what he calls the dementia. And, and it came about through this very kind of jolly retelling of his experience of putting something in the fryer. He thought, oh, well, I'll go to the GP and then was told that he had dementia and then he was here. And that was kind of... I think it was maybe four sentences, the actual story that he that he gave me. And I quickly ran outside of the room and made a note of it because it seemed really, really important, not just his t- telling of, of how he had his diagnosis. It's very rare to find someone so honest in, in the way that they told it. And I think it's interesting, the key factors that in the points that he that he remembers of that initial diagnosis really, that he he really recalls this taking seven away from 100 that's a lot of detail and and so it must have had quite an impact on him to to recall it in that way and the detail also of the smell of the burning like how how important sensory is in 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 our in all of our lives and and how that sensory moment, the smell, is what he remembers about there is something wrong. The importance of, of sensory stimulation as well within all of the work that we do became quite apparent in this story. It's a common theme of of going to the GP and going through these tests where you have to do something that I would find quite difficult count taking seven away from 100 and then not only doing that but then taking seven away again and then again and then again that's really hard and I don't think that that's quite stressful as well so that was interesting to me how people are getting diagnosed the way in which doctors and the healthcare system are deciding and finding out uh, and telling people they have dementia and it brings us into this conversation that we're having here of of what is beneficial in that moment for the person in that waiting room. I mean, they're filled with stress at, at this diagnosis and they're having to do a task that's really stressful. Um,
1: and sometimes being under stress when you're mm. in that situation, I mean, we've all been there where we're under pressure, we're, we're stressed. You do sometimes forget things, things like maths. If you're trying to do maths very quickly in your head, mm. it, sometimes you get it wrong because you're panicking about getting it right. So exactly,
4: Exactly,
0: and what, what I really noted about this participant telling me this was the jollity that he had to his tone um, that there was no animosity at all towards the GP so he he wasn't really saying it with a negative spin on it at all and and I don't want to portray it in that way because that's not how he was saying it but I just I find it an interesting aspect of how people are being diagnosed but also going forward how he went on to talk about how he ended up with the dementia peer group what that gives him the life it, it brings to his life the gardening the opportunities the fact that you know he can have coffee and tea.
1: <laughs> he's, now a, he's now a confirmed tea drinker.
0: Yes. Um. <laughs> uh, and, and, yeah, going out to do the garden, he actually will be gardening that garden at that dementia peer group come March. And how rewarding that is for him as a method of... as a medication, I guess, social, the social stimulation that he gets and how that's so much more beneficial than going for test after test after test and monitor whether you're declining or not. You know, I mean, what does that matter in the grand scheme of things what matters is the happiness and how he spends his days now and trying to allow him to live
1: absolutely well that's it for our very first podcast for a map to you thanks so much laura next week valentine's day we'll be having a valentine's day special it will be released at 6 p.m laura if anyone wants to get in touch what's the best way to contact dot
0: the best way is via the website, it's www.thedotcollective.com and email at contact at the.collective.com if you have an idea, if you're a performer, if you're somebody who's caring for dementia or running a venue or a group, then please do get in touch. Um, also, we uh, we are a charity, so I will plug the donation side of things. Everything that we do is non-for-profit and if you are in a position to make a donation, please do have a look at the website you can read some more and you can make a donation there um, via our donate button and all those details can be found in the show notes
1: fantastic we'll see you next week